If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share us and subscribe so you don't miss our next show. We'd love to talk with you again. Happy Friday, my people. It has been a thick news cycle this week, and I had a heck of a time whittling down the stories I had the resources to cover, and there is still a bunch I am not covering today. Quick drops, though. Trump has added Texas Governor Greg Abbott to his list of potential VP candidates for his ticket, and the House actually got something done, passing another short-term spending bill to avert another government shutdown this week. I imagine the knives are coming out for Johnson as the Freedom Caucus bristles at actual legislation passing that doesn't have their feces smeared all over it, and I'd be lying if I said I had any sympathy for Johnson. Watch your back, Mike. They're coming for you. And Matt Getz is likely practicing his motion to vacate speech right now. The past week has seen two primaries come and go, with Donald Trump securing sizable victories in both. In South Carolina, a Republican-only affair, as the Democrats had run their primary there earlier in the calendar, Trump had a 20-point lead over Haley. His 59% to her 39% earned him 47 delegates to her three. Haley was able to win three counties, urban areas, and certainly influenced by liberal-minded voters that are often found in those metropolitan areas. With South Carolina being an open primary state, any eligible voter who didn't vote in the Democratic primary could vote in the Republican one, and this likely influenced the outcome to some degree. The results of the next state, Michigan, were not as close. Nikki Haley was decimated, nearly 70% to less than 30%. About three-quarters of the Republican voters consistently reject her in this race thus far. Trump leaves Michigan with 12 more delegates and Haley just four. This puts Trump strongly in the lead with 122 total and Haley trailing far behind him with 24. There are four more Republican contests coming before Super Tuesday on the 5th of March. The Democrats don't go again to the polls until then. On March 2nd, Idaho and Missouri will be having caucuses with 32 and 51 delegates on the line respectively. The District of Columbia holds its primary on the 3rd with 19 delegates in play. Finally, on March 4th, uh, North Dakota's 29 delegates are up for grabs in their caucus. Idaho is a semi-closed primary state like New Hampshire, with non-Republican voters having to affiliate with the party at least on the day of the election. Independents can easily do this, but Democrats would have had to disaffiliate from their party before a deadline that is long past, so they cannot get in on this action. The District of Columbia is a closed primary, so, barring any significant news this week, should reliably deliver similar results for the two Republican candidates, about 75% for Trump, 25% for Haley. Missouri and North Dakota are open primary states, which helps Haley, as independents and Democrats can influence the results. Another factor that may help her is, the Democratic primaries for those states are later in the month, so those people have not participated in any contests yet and use their vote. The Democratic coronation, uh, I mean nomination, is obviously a foregone conclusion, so these voices from outside the Republican Party might feel free to use their voices to stop Trump, not by supporting Biden, who doesn't really need it at this point, and instead supporting Haley, who really does. It's not assured. The recent efforts seen in Michigan's primary of people voting, quote, uncommitted on the Democratic ballot to protest President Biden's support for Israel might still be a thing, and people would want to get in on that effort. Uncommitted actually netted over 13% of the vote in Michigan, actually earning two delegates, a very significant message to Joe Biden. This effort is quickly picking up steam. Other states are seeing similar activity in preparation for their primaries. Colorado goes to the polls on Super Tuesday, and there is furious activity to organize an uncommitted campaign going there. 
The Colorado-Palestine Coalition and local chapters of the Democratic Socialists of America announced the campaign late Wednesday after seeing the results in Michigan. Based on Colorado primary rules, if uncommitted can crack 15% in a congressional district, it'll earn a delegate. In Washington state, Biden has taken another hit. The United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the largest labor union in the state, has endorsed uncommitted. After the endorsement, the union's executive board explained their reasons. Currently, many voters and UFCW 3000 executive board feel that the best path to have the best nominee and to defeat Trump is to vote uncommitted. The union said in a statement, I hope that this will strengthen the Democratic Party's ultimate nominee to defeat Trump in the general election in November. It continued, we need a nominee who can run and beat Trump to protect workers across this country and around the world. Okay, that sounds like the driving force in that state is about Biden's electability, not his support of Israel. That makes this even more concerning for the Biden campaign. It was what's going on in Gaza and the anger of a large Muslim and Arab community in Michigan that got this ball rolling. It looks like the motivator in Colorado is in line with this. The news out of Washington, though, strongly suggests that the uncommitted movement is attracting other aggravated parties and ideologies. This precedent will likely inspire all manner of groups displeased with Joe Biden and the present course of the Democratic Party at large to pile on. We're still very early in the primary season, and there is a lot of time to wreak serious havoc on Biden's coronation, I, I mean nomination. Uncommitted already has two delegates. Actual living, breathing competitors to the president have none. This just became concern number two for Sleepy Joe, right after no labels announcing a ticket for the election cycle after Super Tuesday. It was easy to suppress Dean Phillips and Marianne Williamson, but this new initiative is a scary genie, and it is long since out of the bottle. Speaking of a genie coming out of a bottle, she's back. After suspending her campaign very recently, Marianne Williamson has unsuspended it and re-entered the race. Despite dropping out, she still bested Dean Phillips in the Michigan primary, a candidate who is actually still running. It may be that she feels more competitive than Phillips, and the performances thus far would seem to support that. More likely, however, is she saw the recent uncommitted initiative that debuted in Michigan as a protest vote and captured that previously mentioned 13% and two delegates and astutely recognizes an opportunity. Williamson wears her heart on her sleeve and is an outspoken proponent of peaceful solutions to geopolitical issues. It would not be a far stretch to see the uncommitted movement warm up to her as a way to give their movement an actual candidate against Joe Biden. This would turn a protest into a legitimate threat to the plan. The other Biden challenger, Dean Phillips, was on a Minneapolis radio show Thursday. The host asked if he would vote for Nikki Haley over Joe Biden if she won the Republican nomination. Phillips responded, Wouldn't all your listeners be more compelled by maybe Nikki Haley and Dean Phillips getting together on a unity ticket and actually doing for the first time, perhaps in our country's history, what most Americans really want, which is a cooperation, collaboration, participation, decency, common sense, and leadership? He continued, I'm going to turn the question that way, because there's no way Nikki Haley will become the GOP nominee, and the fact of the matter is, right now the Democratic Party doesn't want competition and seems to want to coronate Joe Biden. Phillips' challenge to Biden has been mostly crushed. He came in second in New Hampshire, nearly 20%, to Biden's nearly 64%. He finished third in South Carolina and Michigan, behind formerly dropped out, but now dropped back in, fellow Biden challenger Marianne Williamson. In this radio interview, he continued to make a case for this hypothetical odd couple third-party ticket, saying, In the event of a Donald Trump victory this November, which is almost certain if Joe Biden is the nominee, 
I think any American who opposes that should celebrate, encourage, and inspire an alternative that can actually win and lead our country in the way that people want. And I think anybody, including myself, should keep open minds and hearts about that. Phillips added that, I think American could be very well served by some type of a bipartisan ticket that restores faith in government and most importantly demonstrates to the world, to the world, that American can work together and restore its extraordinary brand across the entire world. For their part, the Haley campaign responded, Nikki Haley is a strong and proud Republican, and that's what we're focused on, winning the Republican nomination. I wonder if a red light in the No Labels headquarters began blinking after this interview. Speaking of the party that is not a party that has the Democrats wringing their hands, No Labels announced Wednesday, quote, No Labels has said for months that our movement plans to regroup shortly after Super Tuesday to evaluate whether we should offer our ballot line to a unity presidential ticket and that remains the plan. The official continued, On March 8, we will gather our 800 delegates from all 50 states who would ultimately approve a final unity ticket to discuss and vote on whether they want us to continue moving forward. No Labels has been consistent on this plan, and indeed, the hours after the polls close on Super Tuesday will be a time of reflection for many people. This Tuesday is super because 15 states and a territory all go to the polls. On this one day, 874 Republican delegates and 1,383 Democratic delegates are being competed for, over a third of the total available. A poor showing on this day would most certainly sound the death knell for several campaigns. Donald Trump needs 1,093 more delegates to secure the nomination outright for his party, and it is really his party at this point. Joe Biden needs 1,763 more delegates to earn, earn, as if he's worked for this, Anyway, to create the impression that he won the nomination through a legitimate process, Tuesday the 5th is significant. If Dean Phillips can't make significant improvements in his performance, he's done. Honestly, at this point, he's looking punch drunk and just staying in out of angst. He's had to lay off staff, and much of his campaign is funded by his own money. He's in a bad way. Marianne Williamson might be able to parlay the uncommitted protest into support for her, but that still doesn't improve her cash flow problem. She's no better off than Phillips in that area. Nikki Haley has significantly more funding than these two, but after her poor performance in her home state of South Carolina, has seen the Koch brothers close their wallet. If she doesn't score some wins on Super Tuesday, it's reasonable to expect an exodus of backers from her foundering campaign. Nikki Haley is enthusiastic, but she's no fool. She's already indicated that she too would likely give up at that point. No Labels finds itself without a candidate to run if they do decide to run a ticket after Super Tuesday. Outgoing Democratic Senator Joe Manchin was the apparent top choice, but he has already diffused any thought of that, recently announcing he would not run for the presidency this year. The other presumed candidate, former Maryland Governor Larry Hogan, has announced he's running for the Senate, so he's off the table. Former Republican primary presidential candidate and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie has been dismissive of overtures for him to join such a ticket. But he did say in an ABC interview, If there was ever a time in our lifetime when a third-party candidate could make a difference, I think it's now. The question, though, is what kind of difference? He's a wild card so far. So you have a party that is not a party who would run a ticket if Donald Trump and Joe Biden are the presumptive nominees. Well, the Republican and Democratic National Convention have had their cards face up for months, so let's just drop the bullshit and say, yes, these are your nominees. If no labels says what they mean and means what they say, then that means they're going to run a ticket. No disrespect to Williamson or Phillips, but they are not A-list candidates. 
For her part, Williams is a bit kooky and has zero experience as an elected official. She's not in contention at all. Phillips has some political clout and a similar moderate vibe. He's a possible VP candidate on the ticket. Nikki Haley is the most tested of the potential candidates. She's losing, yes, but she's not doing bad considering the majority of the electric in her party hate her. There is a reason she polls well in hypothetical general elections. The people that hate her are extremists, and they don't represent the majority of America. Unfortunately, eight states have what are called sore loser laws, whereby she might not be able to appear on the ballot in the general election after running as a Republican in the primaries. Only two of those states have rules written clearly that block a candidate returning under a new flag. The others are disputable and would likely lead to furious court cases to argue for and against ballot access. Add that to recent comments from the candidate, and it's pretty certain she's not interested. Her campaign has brushed aside the idea any time it was mentioned, but Haley commented herself just today. If I were to do no labels, that would require a Democratic vice president. I can't do what I want to do as president with a Democratic vice president, Haley said. I want to shrink the size of government and get it efficient again. I want to make sure that we get our kids reading again by putting more of those federal funds, pushing it down to the state level from education to health care to welfare and mental health. I would take all of that out of D.C. and send it to the states. I can't do that with a Democratic vice president. I want to make sure we do peace through strength. I don't know if our foreign policies would agree. That's a pretty solid no. Who's left? While not exactly a vocal proponent of the no labels idea, former New Jersey governor and Republican primary candidate Chris Christie finds himself with some free time. He dropped out pretty early compared to the last challenger standing, Nikki Haley, but he presents a much starker contrast to Donald Trump than she does, which is the whole point of this operation, isn't it? Well, unless the Democrats are right, and this is a long con to split the centrist vote that would have begrudgingly voted for Joe Biden and deliver the White House to Donald Trump, a Christie Phillips unity ticket would be my formula. This is not an election cycle to play safe. Go big or go home. In a past show, I suggested that Senate Majority Leader Republican Mitch McConnell was the last man standing to hold the line against the wave of MAGA zombies overrunning the Republican Party and eating their brains. Despite my feelings about his history as a legislator, I put him into the context of the current state of the GOP and genuinely hoped he would dig in and lead a counteroffensive with the last surviving remnants of the old guard Republicans. It was not to be. Rather than go down fighting, he opted to go out with a whimper this week, saying Wednesday he will step down as a Republican leader in the Senate this November. With the recent capitulation of the second most senior member, Senate Minority Whip John Thune, who formally endorsed Donald Trump, McConnell was all that was left. Thune had been a vocal detractor of Trump, even saying as recently as last month, I've always been worried, in reference to Trump's viability as a general election candidate. The reasons for Thune to be worried have not changed at all, though. His analysis that general elections are won in the middle of the electorate was absolutely correct then, and is only more so with every new shocking soundbite the multi-indicted presumptive nominee regurgitates into a microphone. These hot takes and inflammatory statements wind up Trump's base, sure, but that's who they're tuned for. But we easily see that doesn't play to the middle with the support the more even-keeled Nikki Haley garners from independents and even card-carrying Democrats in states with open primaries that allow them to speak up. Perhaps Thune realized if he slid a knife into McConnell's back, Trump would let him be minority leader. Et tu, Thune? At some point, every level of the Republican old guard has been assailed by the orc horde, and every one of them has either switched allegiances, retired, or fallen to the armies of MAGA. This is a reality celebrated by one of the most ardent foot soldiers of the movement, Matt Goetz, 
who wrote on Twitter Wednesday, we've now 86 McCarthy, McDaniel, McConnell. Better days are ahead for the Republican Party. He mocked the three-party leaders, writing McCarthy, McConnell, McDaniel, McFailure. Getz, you may remember, orchestrated the motion to vacate in the House that brought down former Speaker Kevin McCarthy. This created the conditions that allowed another MAGA acolyte, Mike Johnson, to assume the gavel and foment the chaos we see in that end of the chamber in the past few months. Johnson's negotiation of a clean bill without Republican Freedom Caucus riders attached to it that averted another government shutdown is certain to put a target on his back. Johnson may soon be brought down like his predecessor for doing something bipartisan. That's just not how this Republican House works. But back to McConnell, who is 82 and joined the Senate in 1985 and is the longest-serving Senate caucus leader in history. In his Wednesday address, the senator from Kentucky said he intends to serve his term as a senator, which ends in 2027. The well wishes from fellow politicians, even Democratic ones, have been gracious, but not so from Trump. These two don't like each other and make no attempt to hide it. Trump has called McConnell the old crow, and McConnell said of Trump after the riot on January 6, 2021, I feel exhilarated by the fact that this fellow, finally, totally discredited himself. He put a gun to his head and pulled the trigger. Well, Mitch, that hammer fell on an empty chamber because you're falling out of favor while he has metastasized through the Republican Party and is poised to take complete control of it and eventually, sooner rather than later, kill the host. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take the time to leave a comment here and on Podchaser. It helps us know how we're doing and what topics you'd like to hear in the future. Have a great day.